David, one might say you're salty right now. I'm not salty. And a little bit of sweet. Mm-hmm. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant based cookbooks and the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder. Thank you for tuning in today. And I love him the most because he knows that real queens fix each other's crowns. My husband and producer of the podcast, David Rossetti. How are you, my love? I am good. I'm good. Real queens fix each other's crowns. Yeah. How, how, what's, what, what a speech of unity. That's and that's what we're Amongst all about queens. here at the Keep On Cooking Pod. Absolutely, absolutely. Here on the the studio. Have you ever thought what would your drag queen name be? Tiramisu. Oh, you. Have... <laughs> I just want everyone, uh, listeners. You heard it, but his face. I mean, there was not a beat taken. There was no hesitation. I've always loved. Please welcome to the stage, Miss Tara Misu. I love that. Yeah. I have no idea what mine would be. Could you name me right now? Hmm. It's okay if not. You can think I'll about it. I have to think about that. Yeah, I'll maybe, think about that by the end of the Maybe for the end, end of the pod. Uh, we, uh, what, what's, what's happening? What what do we eat this week at home? What do we have? What do oh, we do? Oh, wow. So many things. You made a delicious that I've been enjoying over and over again as leftovers, that tempeh piccata pasta. Oh, y'all, I did. It's a one it's, pot. It's a one pot. It's delicious. It's lemon, lemon mm-hmm. in it, so mm-hmm. it's like really nice and bright. And some veggies. Um, you got lemon, tempeh, uh, cauliflower, kale. Uh, if you go to my Instagram, everyone at the Vegan Roadie, uh, it's posted, so you'll p- see a picture of that plus a little canister of uh, Kelly's Ooh, croutons, Kelly's lemon croutons. pepper. Kelly's. Friend of the pod, friend, friend of the, of the pod. pod, friend of the pod. Uh, if you haven't had Kelly's croutons, y'all are missing out. Oh, and you can get a. Uh, let's do a little advert here because yeah. I love her so much. You can get. 10% off or 15% off? I can't remember. If you use the code Dustin, that's my name, at kellyscroutons.com, when you buy two or more items, you get 10 or 15% off when you use my and name. And trust me, you out. will want at least two items. Oh, you want to stock up? Make that order worth it. They're delicious. The so croutons, good. the just crumbs. So anyway, we did this... Uh, uh, tempeh, piccata, pasta, one pot, everything in the pot, and done. The recipe is actually posted on the Vegan Roadie Instagram. Uh, speaking of Instagram... Yes? The Keep On Cooking Pods Instagram is now active. Ooh. Yeah, that's fun, right? Something else to engage with us about and share specific content to the Keep On Cooking Ooh, Pod. Ooh, I think I'm going to give you the password. Oh. You may have fun with that. Oh, all right. I don't know why I haven't thought of this before. Drop drop in our DMs, drop, they say. Drop, drop drop in the DMs. Um, But yeah, the, uh, we had a Keep On Cooking Instagram, and basically yep. the account said, head to the vegan roadie for all the Keep On Cooking content. But as we've been doing this, we thought, why don't we just go ahead and start uh, putting stuff on here every week so that there is a dedicated space? Uh, because there's a lot of great information I'm realizing that comes out on this podcast, and we're getting a lot of great feedback, people coming to the Vegan Roadie and going mm-hmm. in the DMs and saying, talking about authors they want to have on the podcast and talking about interviews that they liked and books, books that they, they bought. bought. Yeah, That's books they bought because fun. of it. So cool. So, so cool, cool to see. So if there is a book you love that we haven't done yet and an author you would love to hear on the podcast, uh, please go to the keep on cooking at keep on cooking pod on instagram and, and that is cooking 
No G. No G. Keep, Keep on, on cooking, cooking pod, pod. Uh, on Instagram. Follow us and all that good stuff and go ahead and slip into the DMs and David's going to be on there too. So we'll both be chatting to you on there. It'll be yeah. fun to have you around on there. Uh, what else did we do this week? What, what are we watching? Oh, we're watching Mr. Mayo. We Mr. tried that Mayer. with, uh, sure. what is that? Ted, Ted Danson. Ted Danson. And he's dancing, dancing. And looks great. I mean, he looks fantastic. He really yeah. does. Get it, get it going. And then we're and watching that other show, uh, Everything's Gonna Be Okay. Is it? Is it British made? Australian? It might no, be Australian. No, he's an Australian. The he's lead an Australian is an Australian actor. actor. I don't know. And... Check it out. Let us know what you think. It's kind of interesting i like it a lot yeah, no, I um too. but i i have a bitter taste in my mouth from that other show we watched him on and i'm nervous that the character i'm gonna start disliking the character sure. um though he doesn't seem to be going that direction no. he's very likable and lovable in this i'm sure as a human he's totally lovable the last character he yeah. played I, I had a little Listen, uh, anyway uh we have this amazing guest this week and david Ooh. um i want two things okay so uh it's lagusta yearwood of lagusta luscious uh yeah lagusta yearwood of lagusta's luscious it's a book called Sweet and Salty, The Art of Vegan Chocolates, Truffles, Caramels, and uh, more from Lagusta's Luscious. Do you say caramel or caramel? Oh. Like, I'm going to have some, I think, caramel? There's a really... I think I say caramel. Well, like, which makes which sense, because weird. that's actually... Now I say caramel, but when you, you guys... Caramel. Some people say caramel. I feel like I used to say caramel. Well, when you listen to this interview, there's a fun part with uh, Lagusta and I where we talk about it, and then I start to... F- flip the two of them i use them interchangeably Ah. because i couldn't remember what i actually said i know i grew up saying caramel but now i'm switching to saying caramel uh anyway uh we also talk in this interview you hear me opening up a uh little container of i'm very distracted he's opening up a (laughs) container of candies that i just made today because in this interview we talk about these tahini meltaways that are super actually fun and easy to make they're in the book and one of the most popular items at uh lagusta's luscious and she actually puts the recipe in this book and the lid is coming off so difficultly but david hasn't had them yet he's been at work all day david i want you to try one on air on air air, on the record and let our let our listeners know how these taste so again these are the tahini meltaways And what this is, is he's taking a bite right now. Does it melt away? Mm. <laughs> this is for the ASMR. Oh, gosh. The ASMR. Oh, my God. It's wow. so good, right? Oh, my God. I had never. You said tahini, and I was like, uh. Well, so, yeah, I had never had one at uh, so good. Confectionery, which is a place you and I went to all the time on the Lower East Side where, uh, they sell a bunch of Lagusta's luscious uh, goodies, uh, but I, I guess this is a bestseller. It's a tahini meltaway, so there's a, a a chocolate layer with tahini mixed in, and then a white chocolate layer with tahini mixed in, and then a dark chocolate outer coating. And I know that sounds like a lot, but I swear to you, they're easy to make. Uh, sprinkled with a little bit of white sesame and sea salt, they're so delicious. Mm. I actually ate six today, so I'm not going to eat one now. I kept going like I had one, and I was like, oh, that's so decadent. I'm just going to have one, and then I was like, after I I don't know if it was six, wow. it was like five or. Six uh, I, was I don't like, i do not blame you i was like i must stop right now uh so those it's are... like a great combination of like um sweet and salt like mm-hmm. and, and savory mm-hmm. like and savory and mm. melty just like it says yeah. tahini meltaway so uh already from this book i'm telling you the tahini meltaways are delicious david i'm gonna hand the book to you if you can do our <gasps> thing here open the book randomly and let's talk about a couple recipes real quick before we get into this ditty which I, if and the the um cover 
is the Tahini Mountainways. Ooh, I mean, I would love this rosemary sea salt caramels. Caramels, caramels, caramels. Rosemary sea salt caramels. I love it. Okay, let's okay, see some what more. What else we got? Oh, oh, some kind of melon with shishimi takarashi oh. syrup. Oh, fancy. Well, so that's interesting, too. So that's not a candy or a chocolate. So this book has uh, some variations, some different things in it, some different levels. Uh, While it is mostly candy and chocolate, there's that. There's also a tofu. So that was a melon recipe, essentially. And then there's also um, a tofu recipe in here that I talk about with Legus. So let's give us one more, David. Well, how cool. Because, I mean, you think if you use, like, fruit as, like, a base, maybe that's, like, if you're looking for, like, a little bit of, like, a healthier, like, sweet snack. Sure. Like, sure. You know, uh, like your base is like a piece of your fruit. Your base That's is awesome. fruit. Mm. Um, but uh, I just opened to, I mean, I think most people would be jiving with this. This would be a vibe. Ginger orange blossom truffles. Ooh. Oh, and they look really pretty too. Ooh, ooh. Oh, I love it. Ginger orange blossom truffles. So that's just a little sneak peek of what's in this book that we're about to talk about. Let me tell you, listeners, about Lagusta. I'm a little in love with her, David, I gotta tell you. Like, I remember you talking My heart. About yeah. uh, I love this book. I loved my conversation with her. She is a national treasure as far as I'm concerned. Starting her culinary career as a form of activism as, and a graduate, as a graduate of the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York, she went on to serve as a private chef in NYC for many years, then ran her own food delivery business, which then simultaneously it ran with her confectionery services, all under the title of Lagusta's Luscious. Yeah, but it all came back to chocolate, well, when she officially opened up the first vegan chocolate shop in the world. Uh, so, Lagusta's Luscious in New Paltz, New York. Uh, Lagusta's Luscious also operates uh, commissary. So, that's cool. A kitchen, uh, a cafe just a couple blocks from Lagusta's Luscious, also in New Paltz, New York, uh, and a confectionery. So, a retail sweet shop uh, in New York City. Whenever I see New Paltz, the L and the A, I want to say New Platz. New plats. Uh, they like look a little just me. It Is does. it just no, me? No, no, I, I get it. New plats, <laughs> New York. Uh, and we are, we frequented confectionery when we oh. lived in New York. We love that place. I talk about it again in the interview. It's like, it's one of those places David and I would be like, we can't go in because we want to buy gifts for everyone. And buy gifts like for ourselves. Well, ourselves. And then it'd be like, right. oh, and like, I'll get this well, we and I'll take this to this. so-and-so and I'll do that. It was just insane. Uh, in her book, Sweet and Salty, Lagusta shares her secrets with us from a behind the scenes look at success running multiple businesses to learning how to make beautiful shiny caramels rich truffles and all kinds of quirky unique and fancy treats she shares these secrets and we are so lucky she has she's just so damn great y'all she does all this with ethics and style and i'm absolutely honored to have her as a guest please welcome to keep on cooking lagusta yearwood she's a little bit salty and a little bit sweet she's lagusta yearwood welcome to the podcast how are you I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. And right off the bat, I read in one of your bios that your favorite chocolate is the smoky corn on the cob bar. So immediately, I want to ask you about that. Can you tell us about the smoky corn on the cob bar? Yeah, absolutely. I think the package, the description on the package says like, like my favorite, not the most, not the most best selling. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. But yeah, I, I actually, someone posted an Instagram story about that bar today and they said, a weird chocolate for a weird girl. Like, <laughs> themselves. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it came about, I went to a barbecue with a friend of mine. This was maybe like, honestly, like 10 years ago or more at this point. And we had corn on the cob 
but it was like cooked on the grill and then like smoked paprika and mm. sage and I don't know, all these things. And my friend is a food scientist and we were talking about like food combinations and things. And she was like, this would be a great chocolate combination. And I was like, what? <laughs> but I love it because corn is such a, like it was originally paired with chocolate in like Mesoamerica. It's such a, actually like, I think people think it's such a weird ingredient in chocolate, but it's actually like a very, it's like the original. Sure, <laughs> sure. You guys actually, this isn't too far off here is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it has um, corn, smoked sea salt, smoked pepper, um, sage, and then it's like a dark, like 66% dark chocolate. And um, yeah, it's pretty, it's very nice. It's really good with s'mores. Um, if you want to make oh, like a delicious. savory kind of s'mores. And it's yeah. in the shape of a candy bar then? Yeah, yeah. It's just like a, a regular like chocolate bar shape right now my uh husband is a super fan of corn on the cob so i was like oh i might have to order some of these goodies for him uh let's go into our icebreaker question what are three habits you have worked on instilling for yourself that have improved your life oh man let me tell you i love (laughs) (laughs) i love habits i love lists (laughs) i love life hacking all that stupid crap i love it then you've got some Um, good ones for us i would i would imagine Um, okay. One thing is this sounds silly, but prioritizing, I really think, I mean, at this point I have like 30 or 40 employees. And the thing I'm constantly saying to them is like, you have to prioritize your day. And this, I started getting really serious about it because I have this little sign on my desk from, I read this somewhere that says, it's just so extreme, but it says you will ruin your life if you don't do the most important thing on your list every day. And I feel like, you know, we all tend to kind of like cherry pick what we want to do, especially when you work for yourself or you're a writer, all these things. And so you just do the things you want to do and not the very most important thing that will actually advance your life. So that habit of prioritizing, I feel like is life changing of like, not what's the most fun thing to do. (laughs) Sure. You know, I love that. Uh, I think that's great. I'm taking that one already. I'm like, yes, give me more. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, let's see. Okay. This is really, really dorky also, but I went through a huge depression like three years ago and I got some really good habits that came out of it. Thank Gaia. I'm so happy. Like it was the only good thing to come out of it. Well, and I completely changed everything about my entire life, but (laughs) some some other silver linings, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. How those go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I created this system because I couldn't do my little like self care things. So I created a system that I called frames. Um, this only works if you're like an uptight list maker like me, um, <laughs> where you write, I write on my to-do list every week. I write on everyday frames, it, it, the, the acronym changes, but, um, and then you cross, you write that in little letters and you cross that off. And for me at the time, frames stood for like the F was flossing. The R was, uh, I, I don't reading, like reading, not on a screen. Um, anyway, and I had a whole thing like list, like music. I wanted to listen to like a special song that calmed me down every day. Cause I was all wild. Um, meditation, exercise. Um, yeah, just different things. That's great. um, Yeah, it's really good. I think right now I'm looking at my, at my planner. I have a really weird kind of frames thing going. I'm really, (laughs) does it change (laughs) every day or every, every day it's a new frame or every week or like you keep, you keep. It just depends. I did did the original frames one for so long. No, now I have weep, which is really funny. It's like (laughs) drinking enough water, eating, exercising and probiotics. Hey, that's good. That's good. It's a good little system. So that's maybe more than three habits, but you know. No, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. No, isn't that, that's what you gave us the prioritizing and the frame. So if you, do you have yeah. another one for us? 
Oh, let's see. I mean, I don't, you're just giving us such good ones here. I'm like, if I can pick your brain for another, I'm here for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, oh, I feel like I have so many. Um, I don't know. I think, um, (laughs) this is another like very uptight person one scheduling little using your phone to like schedule little blocks of time, you know, cause I feel like the day just stretches out and goes away. So I'm always like, I, I don't know, like I'll set an alarm on my phone and do this one thing for two hours and then just breaking things in the blocks. Even if the block is like 15 minutes, it's like, okay, I can do emails for 15 minutes. I'll survive, oh, you know? And so good. Like, That's good. Yeah. Well, and I think in between, if you have little treats, it's like, I'm very, you know, like do the thing you don't like, and then you get a treat. Even if the treat is just like, <laughs> maybe I'll take my dog out for a five minute walk. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's nice. So my therapist had me doing these, uh, like, uh, just, I mean, that's essentially these task accomplishment, like, you know, list of tasks and everything and sort of like prioritizing them. everything you're saying, basically. So thank you. (laughs) I might as well have paid you for that is what I'm saying. I love it. Um, I've got, mine are very basic. Mine are, because in the last couple of years, I've really come to value exercise uh, and sleep. So those are the top two for me um but then creating boundaries is one that's like uh i thought something i thought i had always really done previously but when you really start to explore it i feel like and you step back and go oh no i should have either said no there or said you know not right now or oh maybe we can adjust it and do it this way so it suits all of us or something like that so creating boundaries is one that i've got on there too i think you're so it's so true i think same thing i thought i had good boundaries but I think people don't really understand what boundaries are until they start being intentional about it. You know, like I thought like, oh, I don't talk to people who voted for Trump. That's a boundary. That's That's a boundary right there. That is a boundary right there. But I don't really come into contact with people who voted for Trump. Right, right. So it's more just, I don't know, but I feel like a boundary that I've really leaned into lately is like, if someone wants to ask me a question, like especially an employee, that I would always be like, oh yeah, I'm here for you always. And I just had to kind of be like, actually, I need to finish one thing and then I'll be there for you. Yeah. You know, and like, that was like a small, small boundary, but it changed my life because I could like finish my little thought, you know? Well, and I think so, it, yeah. that comes down to too, like you can't really be there for somebody else if you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah, it's that exactly. whole sort of lesson. So that's good. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, you are a speaking of such thing. You are a phenomenal business owner. I myself have been a customer at Confectionery on the Lower East Side of Manhattan many, uh-huh. many, 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 many times. Uh, yeah. And if I could count the number of times I've walked in there just to get a little treat for myself, and then I'm all every single time without fail. I mean, I won't lie to you. There have been times I've walked in where I'm like, I can't do it because I'm going to spend my whole wallet, and I just don't. This week's not for me. But like, yeah. I'd be down there. I'd be like, I'm walk and get something because I always end up being like oh and I'll get this for so-and-so and I'll get a little treat for so-and-so because it's always everything's so special the shop Aww, just feels so special sweet. yeah I mean it's that sort of thing where you it puts you in the giving mood because you're like I want especially if you have people in your life who are not vegan you're like well I want to get this for them so they can see how like wonderful and exciting this could be yeah that's kind of our whole business model honestly Love it. like I started out You know, I mean, I I think you're the same way, like being in the vegan world for a long time, things have changed so much. Yes. And now like being vegan is this trendy thing that everyone is like, oh, you're vegan. (laughs) But when we started out, like I just wanted to hide Uh that things were vegan so that non-vegans wouldn't be like grossed out (laughs) because people will just be like, oh, it's vegan. I'm never trying that. Sure. And it's really funny to me that that now it's this like marketing thing. Yeah. It's so crazy. You used to feel, or I used to feel like a sense of like, almost like 
like, I don't, I don't know if embarrassment's the right word, but I'd be like, no, I'm going to hide how vegan this is because I don't want you to freak out about it. Like, I just, yeah. you know, I want, I, everything's calm. Everything's okay. It's going to be delicious. But there was always a fear that people would have a certain reaction. And now it's completely opposite. It's totally flipped. Yeah, I, I it blows my mind. And I feel like for me, I started out doing a lot of like animal rights activism. And then I got like, really, really burnt out on that as happens. Sure. In sure. Right You're now. not the first one I've spoken to who has said that. Oh, very sad. And so I think I really brought like an activist spirit to my business. And I really actively was like, vegans eat vegan food all the time. I want to make things that non-vegans eat because that's activism of having more people eat vegan food. Right. You know, so that's, that's kind of still carried through. And now it's just even more. And now everything's plant-based. I know. It's wild. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I, I just flip it around. I mean, I know my reasons and what I do and, but it's like, I'll just be like, Oh, plant-based vegan, plant-based vegan, you know? And then other people are like, but wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. And I'm like, no waiting. I'm like, are you hurting animals? Okay. Then let's eat this. Let's do this. You know, if you're not hurting yeah. animals, please. <laughs> uh, well, take us back. Where did you grow up and when did food and then chocolate and candy come into your life? Um, sure. Well, let's see. Okay. So I grew up in Arizona. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I didn't really, I don't know how to explain it. Like I became vegetarian when I was really young and, um, no one in my family really cared that I wasn't eating meat, which is, I felt very lucky. Um, and then I don't know, my mom and I became vegan together because we went to this animal rights group, like the only animal rights group in Arizona in 1994 or something. <laughs> Um, shout out to care, which I think still exists concerned Arizonans for animal rights and education. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so, uh, so we became vegan and then I went to college, um, and studied like, I I don't know, women's studies, gender studies. And then I was going to go, this is just such a weird And this was college in Arizona. You were going to college in Arizona? No, actually. Yeah. I went to college in Rochester. um, So I just got a scholarship there. So I went there, <laughs> um, which was funny because I'd never like seen winter before. Oh, and um, you did it in Rochester. Yeah. Oh my, I've been in yeah, Rochester Yeah, I had a lot winter. of surprises in store. <laughs> I didn't have like proper shoes. Right. I was just wearing Converse All-Stars all the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was wild. Um, and then I wanted to go to grad school to study like eco-feminist literary criticism at NYU and their like individualized study school. Um, and then my senior year, just to like be a professor and, and teach poetry. And I don't know what my plan was. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's a great plan. I mean, it is a great plan. If you're a poetry professor, I love you. I want to be your best friend. Yes. <laughs> um, but then my senior year, I brought Carol Adams um, to speak to my school. And she was just such an icon for me. Um, you know, she wrote um, Sexual Politics of Need and all these like really foundational um, vegan texts and still is writing them. Um, and I talked to her and I was like, I really, you know, I got into NYU. I can't afford it. I'd have to take a year off to like, just look for scholarships. I don't know what to do. Like, and I literally said to her, and my other thing was that I was thinking of maybe going to culinary school um, at this like natural foods culinary school in New York city. And I was like, what do you think would be better? Like vegan activism, going to culinary school and becoming like a vegan chef or like teaching poetry. like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I could, when I talk about it now, I'm like, that's so, that was interesting. <laughs> you were making choices. You were trying to weigh your options here and prioritize. Exactly. I was 19. Yes. I thought that, if, you know, people read enough poetry would change the world. Hey, I still think that. I was going to say, it does. <laughs> exactly. And she was like, I really think that the world needs more like vegan chefs. Um, so because of Carol Adams, I went to culinary school and, um, 
And then after that, I did like savory cooking for like 10 years. Okay. I did this whole delivery service thing. Um, and then I was just making chocolates on the side because I wanted to, I just really wanted to make like a very decadent um, thing that like people didn't associate with being vegan. Right. So I wanted to make truffles because that was like something that I felt like people were like, it could never be vegan just because it had like cream and butter. Well, and like this wasn't easy. happening then, was it? What time was yeah, this? Yeah, no. I mean, this was like 2000. Yeah, it wasn't so, happening. Yeah, it was like, I remember the first batch of truffles I made had like, I don't know what, like Eden soy soy creamer. Wow. Like, yeah, just like the most processed sure. weird thing, you know? Um, and like, and I always use coconut oil, which was good. Um, I never used like earth balance or anything like that. Cause I, I just wasn't all about them. Right. Um, but it's funny now, like how many amazing like vegan butters there are. And then it was like, there was nothing. <laughs> yeah. When did earth balance even come? I think I cause it was around when I, I didn't go vegan until 2009 and I believe it was there when I, yeah, I think vegan. it's been around for a while, and I think it's definitely gotten better. I used to do a lot of hating on Earth Balance, but because of like palm oil and sure. things. But I think I haven't really kept up. Maybe they're an amazing business now. I don't want to. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't really deep dove into them either recently, so I'm not sure where they're at either. That's okay. Another podcast, another time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you're doing food, then you get into chocolates in the early 2000s. Yeah, and then um, then it, it just kind of like things. They both started growing, both of the businesses, and before I realized it, I had like two kind of full-time businesses, like one sweet and one savory. Um, and that was a lot. As I'm saying that, I realized that I have this exact same situation now in my life. <laughs> when. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, 10 years later. Or You're having, I can hear you having this moment right now. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. It's like it's flashing in front circle. of your face. Yeah. So around like 2010, <laughs> uh, yeah, like 10 years ago, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So I um, bought this really falling apart building in my town because it was the only building I could afford, which now we're renovating and is wow. less falling apart by the second, let me tell you. Um, and, Amazing. Um, yeah. And just like on a shoestring, I opened this um, chocolate shop, which it's really funny because now, you know, we're doing like a real renovation and it's not that we have so much money, but it's like a little better. And I'm thinking about how I did things then. And it would just be like, oh, I go to the dump because they have this like reuse center. And I just forge around and be like, what could I make a toilet paper holder? Sure, from? sure. You know, it's just the way you do things when you're just scrappy. Um, so yeah, I opened the chocolate shop and then we started just like shipping chocolates. And I don't know, it just grew very organically. And then um, then I just did the the sweet sweet stuff for like, a while and then about four years ago opened a cafe so to have more savory things in my life so i think that's just my destiny to always have two full-time jobs <laughs> you're like i just realized um I, where did you go to culinary school at um i went to a natural gourmet in new york city oh all right now oh. me too what i didn't know that oh my god yeah. <laughs> that's so funny when did you go there i went there in 2014 Whoa. Yeah. I, I went there in 2000. 2000. I mean, it's amazing. And they just moved into the Institute of Culinary Education. I'm, I'm happy yeah. to say I followed up with some of the chefs and the program is like alive and living. They're nice and well. So, um, That's so nice. it was like a moment where we were kind of like, oh gosh, the program's going away, but they really are keeping the spirit of it alive. So it's nice that's that it's good. in that bigger sort of establishment. That's great for it. But that's so cool. That's so neat. Yeah. Um, Did you have a good experience there? Did you love it? Yeah, I did. I mean, I loved it for, 
I didn't know why I was going really. I had been a performer mm-hmm. and I, I kind of just wanted a break. And I was like, I don't know why I'm doing it. I'd been vegan for at that point five years. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to like just try this. And then it's sort of stuck and things keep sticking. So here I am, you know? That's so cool. Um, And then I did, I did private. Everyone should, you, the intro to your book is so good. And in it, you, you discuss all of these things in some more detail, but you talk about private chefing in New York and it made me laugh so oh much because you were talking. <laughs> it's exactly what I did for the last like, three or four years before I just moved to Atlanta this last year. And um, it was the stuff you say, it just resonated with me so much about the woman. You're like, I made the same salad for six months for this woman (laughs) because she read somewhere that it was slimming. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly it. Like the world of private chefing is a very interesting world. It is. I mean, especially in New York city where there's so many characters. I just, I feel like I have endless, endless stories, even though it was like, 18 years ago, I'm still like, Oh, I remember this one client I had. (laughs) Yes. It's wild. So how long did you do the private chefing world? I did that for I had one really great. This is I mean, this is the luck if you can get this like as as you know, like I had one really great client who kept me steadily employed for about three years. Um, And then I did kind of other clients in and around that. So I was lucky to have like a base client and then took other stuff. But it was kind of like you're saying it was that thing of like you know you meet with them you start talking to them and it's like well do you do you have like a basic setup in the kitchen you show up and like there's nothing there you know and you're like okay yeah. so this is a bigger job than we're discussing here because you literally have nothing i think in your book you point out you open someone's fridge and it was full of nail polish and little toy soldier soldiers it was like so- only nail polish yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just kind of like i remember like kind of backing out and being like, so i guess i'll just buy like olive oil and salt and like, you know, just the basics. And she was like, that's a 20 year nail polish collection. <laughs> oh my gosh. So funny. People in New York city just have no food in their fridges. Yeah. It cracks me up every time. It's the city eat out. Everyone wants to eat out. So they're, you know, unless you're us and you're like, but no, I want to make like something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the farmer markets are so wonderful. They really it's- are. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you though. How was your experience of the natural gourmet? Oh, it was good. Yeah. I, um, it was really good for me because I love school. Great, <laughs> so, perfect. Yeah, I felt like it wasn't maybe as rigorous as I wanted, sure. but it was, you know, I mean, but it was fine also. Um, I felt like it could have been a little more vegan friendly, which I think it maybe got later in later years. You know, like there, I don't, or maybe it got less. I don't know. No, it definitely, it got a little better. And they did talk about that. They talked about, hey, we've grown over the years. And I think maybe one of the things that you might also be thinking of is when you say rigorous, I'm thinking of when we got there, they were being very much, um, they got very focused on like, hey, we've gotten feedback from like clients that we send our chefs out to like, you guys are not set up for restaurant world. So we want to set you up for definitely not. Right. So like they were very adamant on trying to set us up for all avenues as opposed to just private chefing or just that at the time I went there as you know, we are, what was that was 2014. There were a lot of people who were there and they'd they'd be like, Oh, are you? And they're like, well, I really want to start a food blog. I was like, Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Like a lot of people in my class, which this is no, no knock on them at all, but we're like housewives who wanted to kind of up their game. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, yeah, and people who did private chefing. And I think like, it's, it's actually, I realized that um, like Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain came out the year I was in culinary school. And I think that was such a, a turning point of people starting to like really fetishize restaurants and this very masculine world that I like always had no interest in, you know, of like doing cocaine in the walk-in. Like right, I right. always knew, you know, from day one, like that will not be my life. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> as, 
I don't want to be around men or act like straight men. Well, so. and, re- and and work on like that that whole culture of men in kitchens and restaurants has never been anything that has appealed to me at all. The yeah. sort of like brigade system of it all, um, it always terrified me. I was like, oh, I'm not interested in that. But so it was. Yeah. That's why I say I sort of like you know if you went in. I took away exactly, it was exactly what I needed at the time. And I got exactly what I needed out of it. So it ended up Yeah, you know, I felt the same way. Yeah. yeah. So good for us. Good for us. <laughs> and hey, so it took you to food, then chocolate and your businesses. Tell us about your businesses a little bit. We have Lagusta's, Luscious, Confectionery, The Commissary and Sweet Marisa's. Is that right? And these are all brick and mortars? Yeah. Yeah, well, so Sweet Marisa's is owned by my friend Marisa. There we go. Um, yeah, it's so confusing because we, so she, that's a, it's a bakery that she owns in Kingston, which is like 20 minutes from our shop and my shop in the city or in New Paltz. I can't, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> um, we co-own a shop in the city, um, confectionery um, together. So that's like um, half my stuff, half her stuff. And she and I started out, she was one of my first employees and she and I started out um in the same building, um, the building I'm in right now. Um, wow. and I hired her. It's really funny. I met her at the farmer's market cause she made vegan cupcakes and it's just the thing of like, we're two vegans in a small town. So it was like, okay, obviously we'll be friends. <laughs> right. Right. Of course. Yep. <laughs> and then she just like, you know, kind of asked for a job and I was like, no, just cause I wanted to work alone. And then she just started showing up, which is such a good thing. You know, <laughs> if you want a job, sure. And, you know, I just put her to work and then, um, she worked at the shop for a while. She was so great. And then she started, it's so wild. You should have her on. She's amazing. Oh, I um, love she started, it. Yeah. She's just started experimenting in like 2011, probably 2010 with like vegan uh, macarons, which was like literally no one was making, yeah. which well, very few people are making long before Aquafaba. Right. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, and she just worked on that in on the side for like two years, probably. Um, yeah, at least two years perfecting that it was wild. Um, and then she started renting space in the back room of the shop. So she would work at the chocolate shop and then go to her own kitchen in the back and make macarons and we would sell them at the shop and, you know, we'd ship them. And then it just got more and more busy for her. So eventually I had to fire her so she could work on her own business full time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're so so good. Sweet Marisa's. Oh, it's delicious. So, so tasty. She does a great job. So good. And I want to dive into the book because this is a a cookbook podcast after all. Actually, I was just thinking how uh, everyone listening, we were talking about how a lot of people say Lagusta. And I was like, that'd be like saying a podcast but it's a podcast. Yeah, I know. It's not funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I do understand it because yeah, if it was Spanish, it would be like La Gusta. So I get it. <laughs> oh wait, but we didn't. So tell but, people about your businesses. I skipped right over that. We started talking oh, yeah, yeah. about Darling Marisa. So, so tell us about uh, the businesses. Yeah. Okay. So I have a chocolate shop where we make everything and ship everything. And then we have a little retail um, component in New Paltz, New York, which is like, well, it's about an hour and a half north of New York City. It's a beautiful small town, inundated with tourists right now because it's leaf keeper time. Sure, of course. <laughs> um, um, and we're kind of my plan. Like this sounds ridiculous. My plan with New Pulse is to just slowly make it into this vegan utopia. Yes, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, so, um, so I have the chocolate shop, and then around like two blocks away, I have a cafe um, called Commissary. Uh, where we have savories. We do like vegan croissants. Um, I don't know why I said that so <laughs> The croissants. <laughs> we <vegan> croissants. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, we do like a really amazing ramen and nice. all sorts of things. Um, yeah, so that's 
And that's really grown into like a beautiful community space, even now with, with COVID. Um, just, it's really a joy. Um, yeah. And then I have the shop in the city confectionery that I own with Marisa. That's like half chocolate, half baked goods. So. And all delicious half, half, but all delicious. Let me tell you guys from firsthand. So good. Uh, so the commissary, that must be nice to, um, sort of take a step back from sweets and get back into savory then a little bit. Yeah, I think it's really funny. I feel like everyone who works at the chocolate shop, it really helps our um, <laughs> like diets. Sure. Have, you know, savory food that is is nice and not just eat like chocolate scraps all day. Um, yeah, it's, it's really lovely. I mean, I probably walk back and forth like four times a day or something. And it's <laughs> just like, I'm constantly just trying to be like, what's going on here? What's going on there? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a really beautiful world. I really just intended it to be very small and low key, but, um, I don't know, it's grown. It's been open for about four and a half years and it's just kind of steadily grown. So it's, it's beautiful. I love it. It's blooming as it's supposed to. That's great. Um, and like I said, I'm going to dive into the book because this is a cookbook podcast, but everyone should go to legustasluscious.com and click on the, our values and us button. This page really spells out what you stand for as a business owner with a deep commitment to social justice, environmentalism, and veganism with a love of bold flavor and obsessive commitment, commitment to artisan techniques. This page gives some insight into your dedication to working with local farmers, going beyond the USDA corporate definition of the label organic. You talk about fair trade, an issue you've studied for a long time, and you mention how the fair trade label is often corrupted. Offering up the book Bitter Chocolate by Carol Off is a good place to start to discover more about the fair trade issue. Listeners, that's Bitter Chocolate by Carol Mm -hmm. Off. Uh, You package your chocolates in 100% post-consumer recycled paper and packing materials, and you and your team definitely walk the walk, which is refreshing to see and read on this values page at augustasluscious.com. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like we worked really hard on that page. And I'm always like, is anyone reading this? Oh, that's why I want people got to read it. And I mean, it not only worked hard on that page, you guys are working your butts off then to do all of those things. Because it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to step up as a business owner, I think, and be like, we're going to be this and we're going to that we're going to do this. But to actually instill those values consistently on a daily basis, it it can get very challenging. So that's, that's a, a great accomplishment for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. Of course. Wow. Well, and now I have to ask, as a vegan over 25 years, a chef and chocolatier, what is the first vegan cookbook you ever owned of somebody else's? Oh, wow. Okay. I want to say it was probably some weirdo, like vegan zine, like zine, cook zine, <laughs> that I got in like a co-op, um, like Braggity Andy or something. Like there's all these weird, really old vegan zines. Um, soy not oi. <laughs> Was that the name of one? Soy not oi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I so, love that. Yeah, there's actually a. It recently got redone, and I contributed some recipes to it. I'm it's like looking that uh, up right now. Yeah, I think like Isa contributed some recipes. Isa Moscow. It's really the new one is really cool. Um, yeah, I love it. Um, I, okay, I feel like it was. Um, oh my gosh. Oh, probably okay. Moosewood, not vegan at all. But that was probably my first vegetarian cookbook. Okay. Was like the cookbook. Um, first vegan cookbook. Wow. It, that's a very good question. Do, do, um, or like one that you remember in your beginning days, like cooking the most out of? Yeah. Well, I fa- I worked in a bookstore one summer in college and I came across this really, really weird um, vegetarian cookbook 
that was very political and it was called the, the um, political palette. And it was this restaurant in Connecticut. And I just made it my mission to like become friends with the people who <laughs> wrote this book. And I ended up doing my internship after the natural gourmet at that restaurant and working there off and on for like 10 years. Ah, you did it. You got in. Yeah, I got in and it's this wild, um, it's almost all vegan now, like, um, feminist vegetarian collective restaurant, um, in Bridgeport, Connecticut called Bloodroot. Um, so yeah, so that was really formative for me. Um, yeah. So you did, did you have, what, what was it like a hundred hour internship you had to do after culinary school or what was yeah. the Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how long they had that in place there. Um, we definitely did that one too. Well, yeah. l- let's dig into your outstanding contribution to the cookbook world. Sweet and salty, the art of vegan chocolates, truffles, caramels, and more from Lagusta's Luscious. Had you always imagined you would put a cookbook out when you started your business in 2003? Was this like, uh, was this a plan from the beginning for you? You know what? You know what? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, only because um, my mom was a writer, my grandfather was a writer. I felt like I had this family destiny, and I kind of felt like, um, I mean, when I told my mom died in 2015, and that's about when I was looking for like a book contract. Sure. And I remember telling her like, I think I'm going to, you know, try to get a book contract and write a book. And I feel like she was more proud than she'd ever been of anything else because. I feel like my mom never really, I mean, she did, she was very supportive. She was super loving. She was a perfect human being. Um, but she really was an intellectual. And I think that there's this, she really never understood, like, why would you want to be a cook? You know? Right, 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 right. right. So funny. So yeah, I felt like it was kind of like my family destiny to try to get some kind of writing out there. Um, so yeah, yeah, it felt, it felt really like good and kind of natural. That's something that I'd be going for. Um, and did I yeah. mishear, did I hear you correctly? Did you say your family, they were writers as well? Yeah. Yeah. My mom is a journalist and she wrote like plays okay. and, uh, and things. And yeah, my grandfather actually wrote a bunch of books about nature in Chicago. Oh, all right. Uh, a park named for him in Chicago. It's very adorable. Nice. Uh, so yeah. What's the yeah. name of the park in Chicago? Um, it's called Leonard Dubkin Park. It's a it's a pocket park. I love it though. How great is <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, now there's a little community garden there. It's beautiful. I mean, that's kind of life yeah. goals. Now I want to have a park. That might be the one thing I want really badly now. Someone name a park after me. My goodness. Yeah, uh, park thing for you is really like the ultra. <laughs> I love that. Well, and it's not surprising to me then that you have uh, writing in your in your blood because the writing in this is so good. It's it's the, the the your writing style actually had me glued to the pages. It's that sort of book that you can. Um, read from front to back if you want to. Some people say that about Uh cookbooks sometimes. And I'm always like, what are you talking about? And I honestly (laughs) sat down with this and I was just, I was so moved by lots of the stories. The photos are also great. Stunner for this book. It serves as a functional cookbook and learning tool for anyone interested in candy and chocolatiering. But um, I would have this on my coffee table. It's like, it's just gorgeous to look at. Who did the photography? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) So I actually did the photography and I'm really proud (laughs) are you a photographer as well or don't tell me this was your first you're kidding me yeah no I just like I don't know I had this vision of what I wanted it to be and 
I just went for it. And I mean, there's technically, I feel like they're not great photographs, but conceptually I'm very happy with them. If that makes sense. I'm in love with these. I cannot even, I kept looking through the front being like, who did these photos? And I was like, she Aww. didn't do these. And she's a chocolatier and she's does and a business owner. And I'm like, there's no way. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I could do so much is because I have like this amazing crew at the shop that was like, I basically took like a year off from work, but being at work to write the book. Sure, sure. Really lucky that like everyone kind of held up the the business while I was just like literally messing around for hours with like arranging flower petals in weird ways. I mean, what's on the cover? What is that candy that's on the cover? Okay, the cover is a tahini melt away, which is like (gasps) our selling piece. Um, But I think what's really cool is that a lot of people, I think, you know, it's definitely our, our, by far our best seller because it's really wonderful. It's not that sweet. It's amazing. Um, and I'm really proud because a lot of people told me that they've made that piece from the book. It's one of the most like easy to make at home. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. It works on all levels. I'm excited to make that. I didn't know that's what that one was. I'm very excited to make that. (laughs) As I mentioned, you give us a nice personal glimpse into your growth as a business owner, which was cool to see sort of your, your movement from, you know, a private chef to pushing the candies out in the mail and then to uh, a chocolatier and then a business owner, all these things. And it was very moving to read the story of your mother and your experience, uh, with, with everything through everything with your mom and how it influenced you and your business. And I love what you say in the intro in terms of moving from the chocolatier to business owner and your purpose as the business owner. And I'm going to give a little quote, but you say, I'm water. I flow where there is drought. I love that. It just makes, it's like you are where you're needed to be as a business owner. And I kind of love, love that. And do you ever miss being a chocolatier instead of a business owner though? Just showing up to make the chocolates? Yeah, I miss it every day and it's funny because, you know, we're doing these like renovations. So I'm setting up our new room that we just renovated and everyone around me is like making chocolates, packaging them, putting them in cups. And I'm just like scrubbing shelves and like, <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, I miss it, but it's also very, you know, how it is like kitchen work is so exhausting. Yeah. So it is nice to like not stand up for 10 hours a day or 15 hours a day. Sure. You know, I mean, we have people working eight hour shifts, but when I used to like make everything, which is funny because people think that because the business is named for me, like I make everything, which now I make nothing. Right. So it's right. really, I'm always trying to point out like, we have such a good crew. They make everything. I just like, you know, send emails. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I miss it. And I miss cooking the food at the cafe too. Like, you know, I still do little specials and little things here and there, but yeah, it's kind of a weird thing of, especially in the food world, if you kind of want to, I don't know, have any kind of normal life, you have to learn how to delegate. And then if you're not careful, you just delegate yourself out of a job, which is nice because, you know, now I can (laughs) have a a life, but (laughs) you're like, I can walk my dog more, but at the same time, I don't want my life. I just want to show up and make chocolate. Exactly. But yeah, (laughs) but there's also so much joy for me of seeing, you know, we we're, we're super busy in the winter always. So we just hired like I don't know, eight people to help us out in the winter at the chocolate shop. And it's so beautiful to me to see people who have literally never made chocolates, never thought they could, never would have thought that was something in their wheelhouse. And within like two or three days, they're making these like really beautiful um, confections that are just very 
you know, high quality and nice. And it's, it's very nice to see how like we can empower people in that way. Absolutely. Well, you say something great about training employees in your book uh, at your shop in regards to tasting. And again, I'm going to give a little quote here, but you say recipes are to a certain extent junk to many variables. Your tongue has to be the final say. The only real difference between food professionals is crazy amounts of tasting and trying to learn a little bit, a little more every time. And I just feel there's so much truth to that. Right. Yeah. I was saying that to someone at the cafe the other day. because so I was like, Oh, how's the soup? And they're like, I-, I don't know. And I was like, do you like it? You know? <laughs> like, that's so much of just the whole thing. Like, would you be happy if you ordered this? Yeah. And I think that people don't want to trust themselves because they think like, Oh, I've never cooked in a restaurant before. Or, you know, I don't have sure. this palate, but it's just, is it tasty to you? And just kind of like knowing your that you want to keep on tasting things and learning. Well, and you kind of don't get there, like you said, unless you just keep tasting things and trying things and learning different flavors and stuff like that. Did you sort of pick on, is that something, because I wouldn't say I necessarily picked up on that in culinary school. I think it came to me actually a little bit after, like it didn't hit me over the head. Like I thought I, in retrospect, I think it probably should have in culinary school, but is that something you felt you picked up in culinary school or did it come before or after in terms of tasting? No, I think that the thing that people don't realize about culinary school is that it's like, it's like one step of like 50 million steps, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like it gives you this very basic, like, okay, I know how to sharpen a knife. Now I have the rest of my life to practice like cutting carrots, you know? Exactly. And yeah. I feel like you learn some things there, but it's really just going out and tasting things and keeping your, your mind open and trying to, I think that's, what's really hurting for me about the pandemic is like, I can't go and try new foods because I'm just in my town. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I hear you. So ridiculous, but yeah, I think that's your lifelong work as a, as a food person is just trying to taste new tastes and learn about them. And yeah, it's, it's endless. Thank God, because it's also very fun. Yeah, it is very fun. And it's, uh, y- you give great insight in this book. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know if it's the the pandemic blues got me feeling all, all the feels, but I cried reading this introduction. I'm just going to be full, full Aww. on honest. Like, Aww. I got towards the end and I was like blubbering a little bit and I was like, what is going on with me? Um, so many people have told me they cried. Uh, but like and in I the best like, way. I didn't intend to make everyone cry. But yeah, it did. I was writing it in the aftermath of like my mom dying and, you know, a lot of things. So yeah, but thank you so much. That's so well. And I think you talk about your mom dying and then you also talk about the lessons you've learned in your approach at business. And it just, it really gave me the way you end it. It just gives me so much hope um, as someone who is in food and as someone who is, I don't necessarily like working for other people either, which you, you, you mentioned in this is like why you sort of ended up having businesses is that you just didn't really want to work for other people. Um, so it really yeah. did. It just, it just uh, empowered me and gave me hope. It's really such a lovely intro. And then you want to keep reading. The headers for everything are so fantastic too. But you also mention employee retention, that it's one of your finest accomplishments by far. What is something you can share with our listeners who might own a food business about employee retention and how they can sort of create a space that fosters community within a, its staff like you have? Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm always trying to get better at it and trying to create a better workspace and atmosphere and listening to employees more. And like, I'm a big interrupter and like, <laughs> little things. I'm just trying to always, the way I think about it is like this idea of like servant leadership, but like basically my employees 
are my customers. And then the customers of the business are the employees' customers. That makes sense. Yeah. If I'm keeping my employees happy, everything else flows. But if I'm only caring about what customers think and not caring about what employees think and feel, like nothing works. So I'm always just kind of like, you know, you want a new table? Like that table's not ergonomic? Okay, let's buy a new table. You know, like that's what's important to me is like, you have to have an atmosphere that's comfortable and that makes sense. And I feel like I've worked in so many kitchens Mm -hmm. where it's just like, oh, the blender doesn't work. So you have to tape up this thing and put your hand over it and like get cut up every day, you know? And I just feel like, let's not live that way. That just makes working in a kitchen so unpleasant you know, and well, I don't know. If I, yeah. And creating, it sounds like an environment where people actually, you know, like you said before, kitchen work is hard, but if you're creating an environment where people actually want to show up every day, you know, I mean, work is work at the end of the day, but if you want to show up and, and your boss is taking care of you in a way that makes you feel appreciated, um, that just goes such a long way. I feel like. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is it, it is a job and you know, we're here to work and it's not like we're just sitting around chatting, but within that, we can have a lot of, you know, human interactions. And it's not just like this exploitive relationship of like, how much can I squeeze out of you by the end of the day? For sure. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, let's dive into the recipes of sweet and salty, shall we? Sure. All right. You start things off with a ganache master recipe explaining that ganache is simple, but simple is not the same as easy. So great and so true. Uh, I will say I made this ganache and it is simple. I loved it. I used it in the blueberry blackcurrant truffles and the white miso truffles, both of which I loved and shared on my Instagram. Oh, I saw you've been making the truffles. Yes. Have, you, have you ever made truffles before? Well, so fun fact, I worked at a chocolate shop in NYC for a summer. I worked at uh, Coco V. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I didn't really get super hands-on with the truffles, um, but I watched them being made quite a bit. So I had a little sort of like uh, bird's eye on it. But beyond like you know making, I think I made like cookie dough truffles before, you know. Um, yeah. And they were super approachable and really easy. They were great. That's so cool. Yeah, I tried to really make the truffle section like it's something that you can make with like no ingredient, no special equipment. You know, it's just rolling chocolate into little balls. Well, and listen, I had chocolate on hand. I had everything I needed on hand for the ganache. And then I was like, Oh, but what do I have in my cupboards? The blueberry, I had to go out and get the uh, liqueur for it, but that was not a problem. But I had miso in my fridge because I'm a miso freak. So I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to start out with these miso ones then because I got that right there. I will say, because you say, I think one tablespoon or to taste, I think I got a little heavy handed on the miso because I love it so much. So I was eating them and I was like, it's fine. It's delicious to me. But my husband was like, I think you went a little heavy on the miso, buddy. Um, but I feel like salty chocolate is the best. You too. know, it can't, it can't be too salty for me. That's what I say. Uh, well, but also when it comes to truffles, then, Lagusta, what are a couple of your absolute favorite truffles from the dark chocolate and fruity truffles section of the book? Yeah, well, you know, it's sad because we used to make a lot of truffles at the shop, but they're even though they're easy to make in a home kitchen, they're really hard to make commercially sure. because they have a really short shelf life and they're all made by hand and it's just so much. So we don't make them at the shop. So I miss truffles so much. I was thinking about making some as like a present for someone and it was just a weird thought to me. Um, but I really, really love the pomegranate truffle. It's so simple. It's just ganache and pomegranate molasses. Um, for the book, I originally wrote this like page long header for it about like foraging for roses for the top <laughs> that we write roses on the top. And it was like this life metaphor and it went on so long. Uh, and my editor was just like, okay, you have to cut something. <laughs> I 
I think this completely unrelated tangent about roses that relates to nothing might be a good thing to cut. Uh, fine, you so, said yeah, fine. Said. Um, but they're really nice. I used to make so many for weddings because um, the rose petal on top. And it's I love kind of tart flavors, salty flavors, savory flavors in chocolate. Um, so it's it, it's a good one. Well, what about a boozy truffle? What's, what's one of your favorites in the book? Um, yeah, let's see. Okay, we made... Uh, Okay, the port walnut is really, really amazing. Um, yeah, all of, a, all of a sudden, like I hadn't made those truffles. These are like foundational truffles that I made for so long. Sure. When I make them, but then I hadn't made them for like a couple of years. So for the book, um, everyone at the shop was making like test batches and we were all tasting them. And everyone was like, this one tastes like Christmas. Ooh. And I never thought about that before. But yeah, it is very Christmassy. Um, so and which one is that yeah. again? Will you say it again? Um, the port walnut. Ah, yeah. okay. Tastes like Christmas. That's good. I'm gonna make that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so yeah, that one's that one's lovely. And the, what I think is really cool is I've noticed on Instagram if people post like post about the book and they made things from it, people are so cool at finding just things around their house or special like extracts they have or liqueurs or um, spices or things of adding them to truffles. And it, it's been really cool to see everyone's little creations. Oh, so they're kind of they're what I that's what I love about cookbooks when you watch people take recipes and they get empowered to sort of like, oh, well, maybe I'll try this and you give a great section. I think it's like two whole pages where you sort of give like suggestions in there for like toppings and stuff. So that's kind of a nice way to sort of give people that little freedom to play with things, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so it's a very, very versatile technique. That's great. And do you have any misfires that have happened with boozy truffles? Any like disgusting pairing that you remember from like trying like this booze and this chocolate, that's going to be great. And you were like, never again. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, my gosh, I can't come up with any off the top of my head, but made so many bad things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would imagine with like chocolate and you have such interesting combinations as it is. So I just kind of feel like when you're going for it, you're bound to come up with, you know, some of the most brilliant stuff comes out of so many misfires, I feel like. Yeah. I think the thing that people never talk about in the food world is how long, how long you have to be bad at something before you're good at it. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's, you don't see the millions of times you messed up a recipe. You just see the one time it was good. But yeah. Well, and I will say when you're creating something very special like you are too, like there's a lot of instances then that it is not going to be that special. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We were working on some recipe at the, I think tamales at the cafe and, um, and we made it like twice and everyone was like, oh, I think it's pretty good. And I was like, no, no, no. You don't make a recipe twice and serve it. You make it like 15 times. (laughs) We're at the beginning of this journey, (laughs) you know? But yeah, I do remember that we made these, oh my gosh, like roasted eggplant truffles. I don't think they're in the book. (laughs) They're not. Um, And it was a really polarizing flavor. I really, it was kind of like baba ganoush plus chocolate. It was, it was interesting. I already I'm you, my face is like I don't know and I'm like know, I'm pretty yeah. on game with chocolate or anything but me and eggplant have a very special relationship that's not so great all the time so that's why yeah I'm well they're both kind of bitter right so, yeah 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 well, hard and we're talking about spicy and strange truffles which is a section in the book uh and that's what the white miso truffles are in that uh I, I said I had made and I have my eye on the shiitake sea salt and double truffles can you tell us about those yeah, those are so cool. 
Um, yeah, they're called double truffles because they are, it's very, very hard to say double truffle. <laughs> double truffle. Um, yeah, because they have truffle sea salt and they're a truffle. So it's a little. Ah, I see, I see. Um, yeah. So it has like shiitake powder, which is just like ground up shiitake mushrooms. Um, they kind of dry out in the oven or in dehydrator and then just grind them up in like a spice grinder or food processor or whatever, um, or just like pound them with a hammer, whatever. <laughs> um, and then you use that powder to flavor them. And then it has truffle salt. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, I'm here for <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a good one. You don't really taste the mushroom. Like you taste it at the end, sure. you know, it's not like you taste it and you're like, Oh, it's a mushroom. Um, which now I think there's this trend of like, like these, what is it called? Like, um, when foods are like super good for you, like, <laughs> I don't know, like super mushroom foods? coffee and yeah, there's, Oh, there's I know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know. Nutraceuticals or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of what it's called either, but I know what you're saying. What you're, what we're yeah. attempting to say that is. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of the opposite of that where it's just like for flavor. It's not sure. like, oh, you know, like you want to really it's not you're not getting a lot more mushroom in your diet <laughs> yeah you're like there's no medicinal benefits to this uh truffle guys is what you're telling yeah. us here. yeah um well you cover us with ganache fillings frostings and sauces chapter this includes a five minute chocolate sauce listeners who doesn't love that chocolate sauce in five minutes hello uh what is a sauce in the chapter that has been with you for as long as you can remember one where you just knew it was going to be in the book it was a no-brainer Oh yeah. Well, oh no, this is in the caramel section. Well, there is a, a miso butterscotch caramel sauce. Oh. That is really good. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, I'm also a lover of miso, so that one's really amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the idea that ganache, which takes like five minutes to make can turn into all these chocolate sauces mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, yeah, it's just such a versatile food and you can add some like syrup. We make like a cane syrup and just make it into chocolate sauce so easily. And then you just always have that, which seems so fancy, but it's very easy. And that's all made out of that master ganache recipe then. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's great to have the, a recipe that's, that's versatile like that. And uh, we move into the drinking chocolate chapter. It's fall right now. We'll be moving into winter before we know it. Uh, we have warm chocolate drinks in here, like the top chocolate, a drinking chocolate with a little less ganache and a little more milk, spicy drinking chocolate and classic drinking chocolate. But I see a frozen drinking chocolate too. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, the frozen drinking chocolate is wild. It's um, it's basically just frozen ganache with like a little more almond milk, um, so you don't like die from drinking too much ganache. <laughs> um, and then you freeze it and then blend it up with any kind of milk. We use almond milk at the cafe, um, and then yeah, it's really wild. I mean, you taste chocolate a lot less when it's frozen because chocolate like melts at body temperature, sort of. Um, which we were gonna put that on like this little care card we have for chocolates and. Everyone was like, let's not say chocolate melts at body temperature or something like kind of gross about that. Uh, <laughs> so we changed it to like it melts at like like high room temperature. I don't know what it was, but it's really funny. Um, but yeah, so you need like more chocolate when it's frozen for it to taste chocolatey. So it's very intensely chocolatey. Um, and then there's a recipe for really good whipped cream in there. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the yeah. base of your really good whipped cream? It's actually a coconut base, but it has so much vanilla in it that you don't taste the co- like it doesn't register as coconut. Sure. Um, yeah, and I really recommend getting like the little Easy Whip. Um, that's just the brand name. You could get any kind of like um, siphon kind of um, CO two canister sure. um, to make it because it just makes it like 
so perfect. It's so, it's again, like just the thing of being like an, an old, old timey vegan of like, I just can't believe we have amazing whipped cream around all right, the time. Right. <laughs> it seems so fancy. So For yeah. Sure. Well, and that takes us into the caramel chapter. Do you say caramel or caramel? Oh, let me tell you. Ah! I, say, <laughs> I say caramel, but I think it's fine. Whatever people say. No, I was just but curious because I never thought about it. it again. Like many things as I'm going over this book, I, there's lots of things I haven't thought about that much until I was reading this book and I see the word caramel so many times. Caramel. I don't even yeah. know what I say now. Now I'm like, I don't know how I pronounce <laughs> it. Uh, but the caramel I'm chapter. I'm fascinated by what people say yeah. because yeah. so many people say caramel. Which I'm like, but it has three syllables, but yeah, you know, it definitely, whatever. which is why then I'm like overthinking it now. And I even ask it cause I'm like, but wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Now I'm seeing, it's like, I'm seeing it for the first time, uh, that E for the first time, but in the, it's the caramel chapter, caramel and the meaning of life. I can't not say caramel now with you now. I just can't do it. Uh, it's got dedicated <laughs> sections on stirring and dealing with burnt caramels. This chapter sets you up to do caramel and do it right. Listeners. Uh, what is some advice you would give? give our listeners on working with caramel for the first time, maybe. Wow. Okay. I would say like, definitely read the first section of the book. Yes. If you're working from the book, because it's really not, it's not hard. I don't want people to be intimidated, but it just has different rules to follow sure. than everything else in the cooking world. You know, like if you're making soup and you stir it, that's fine. And you can stir it a hundred thousand times and your soup is still fine. But if you stir caramel too much, it's going to crystallize and get weird and get crunchy and not creamy. And, you know, so it just has like some basic sciencey principles that the book goes through that will just mean that, you know, and I, like, I know a lot of people who said that they were really scared of making caramel and the book really did help them like kind of take their hands and walk through it, which Perfect. has been really gratifying. Um, so yeah, I think just like, you know, follow the, the few rules. It's not like trouble <laughs> to throw anything in there. Um, but yeah, within that, there's so much room to mess around and play. But yeah. Well, and uh, clearly I'm a fan of miso and you are as well, which we've been talking about. We have a mutual love now of the miso. I see there's the miso caramel. Mm -hmm. I'm eyeing that immediately. Um, but what's your hands down favorite caramel sauce in the book then? Well, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I love that miso butterscotch. It's wonderful. And, um, we, we actually made that miso caramel today where we have a giant chocolate skull that we're making at the shop that we yes. put these miso caramels inside of them. It's wild. Oh, I saw um, actually Natalie Slater, Bacon Destroy. I think she just held up a chocolate skull on Instagram from you guys. Oh, it was beautiful. Cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. How sweet. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually a wild thing. The chocolate skull, we started making them because Emily Deschanel, who's like a big customer of ours, right. who's like person ever. Um, we always made things for like the wrap parties of bones, the show. <laughs> and when the series ended, she wanted to make like a big thing for everyone. So we made these, she commissioned us to make these giant chocolate skulls and it was really amazing. We got these like 3d printed molds from our, or the school that's here, SUNY New Paltz. And, um, like made custom molds and I, it was, we made like 300 of these chocolate skulls and now we have the molds. So now we just make at any opportunity we're making chocolate skulls. So I love it. That's great. Yeah. It's really you've, fun. You've put um, that special request into great use then. We have, she created like a whole new category <laughs> for us. <laughs> things. So thank you, Emily. Always the best. I love that. <laughs> um, I love that. But yeah. So we put the miso caramel in there. Um, I would say my favorite caramel, 
is the thyme sea salt. Mm-hmm. Um, it has it has preserved lemon, which is really beautiful, and um, and local thyme. And I don't know, it's just like a little tart that kind of cuts through the sweetness of it. I, it's just very delightful. That sounds delicious. And um, that moves us into the uh, uh, confectionery section, caramel candies. When I would go, when I would go to confectionery, I would I, I would get caramel candies. There's so many to choose from here, like pumpkin spice caramels, rosemary sea salt caramels, strawberry balsamic caramels. Oh my goodness, caramelized onion and chipotle caramels. I can't. You can you can you embellish and, and tell us about a couple caramels that you are most fond of in this book. Oh, yeah, there's so many. I mean, okay, so we have the chipotle caramelized onion, which is also a truffle. Like, I just love those two flavors. Sure. We used to make them as a truffle, but when we stopped making truffles commercially, I was like, I'm not ready to let go of onion and chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we make these caramelized onions and, um, and put them in a caramel, and it's really intense and good. And it's like, you have to really like use the right amount of onion or else it's disgusting. So sure. it's, I really like that kind of, you know, what's the shelf life on something like that? Like a caramelized, a caramelized onion. Yeah. caramel. You know, it's funny because caramels are cooked at such a high temperature. Um, and like, it's, it's really long. I mean, I don't think that's a good question. Do those have a shorter shelf life than others? They might, cause they get a little soft, but the onion in it is kind of like, candied you know sure you know like it's not really gonna like get moldy or anything because it's all protected too it's all around the ooey gooey deliciousness yeah yeah it's in its little cocoon but that is a really nice thing of our confections is that they last for a while um so i mean we make caramels that are last for like you know four months or something um, so that's good. And and yeah. really, how's it going to last four months? Who's going to let a caramel last four months? I mean, really, exactly. come on now. I know, but you could, you know, buy the book and start making things now for the holiday season. That's true. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and we've even got Pauline's, uh, caramelized tofu in this book. You named it after your mother. How, how did this make it into a book? A, a tofu made it into the book. Yeah. I'm trying to think when I started making that recipe, I know, I kind of ripped it off from somewhere. It, might say- <laughs> it does. I read it yesterday. I can't remember. I can't remember yeah. where it's it so was someone else's brain. book, but you made some variations on it. It might've been millennium. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My mom just really loved this tofu. It's really funny. It's kind of, I think it's about equal parts like tamari or shoyu or any kind of soy saucy thing um, and sugar. And you just make this caramel sauce and cook tofu in it. And it's really wonderful. It's very Awesome. Well, and I'm looking right now. It's Deborah. We're gonna we're gonna give proper credit. You, yeah, you give yeah. it in the book, but we'll say it here. You, this is a revised recipe, essentially from Deborah Madison's excellent vegetarian cooking for everyone book. Yeah, that is a really good book. Not vegan, but a great book. Great book. And you, it was <laughs> yeah. named after your mother because your mother loved this tofu, right? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it's nice. Well, and the next section we have is a few more degrees toffee and hard candy. Legusta, you give us cough drops in here. I was elated. You give us uh, the ability to make cough drops without all the crap in them. Dude, the cough drops are amazing. <laughs> I, I can't wait. To, I'm going to make them this season. I was I was just kind of blown away flipping through. I was like, hold on. And I love, I think the beginning of the header is something like, I can't make these for my dumb shop because nobody's going to want to <laughs> buy cough drops. I, I might, I might, I beg to differ. I bet if you make them, people are going to want them. I know. I just want someone I know to make them and bring me some. <laughs> 
And then whenever it's like you're sick, you're not really in the mode of making cough drops. For sure. So, for sure. But yeah, they because they're not covered with chocolate, like I don't know. They're hard. I don't know how commercial cough drops, like they keep them at room temperature. Right. Because you need to like keep them in the fridge. They glom together. It's kind of like, it's really a home cooking. Weirdly, I feel like cough drops is a thing to be made at home. <laughs> I don't know. But nope, that makes sense because we're getting it for medicinal purposes, right? So of course we should know like everything that's going in it. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the thing that this, that working on that recipe over the years taught me is that cough drops are just candy mm. with a lot of peppermint extract. Like that's <laughs> uh-huh. I don't, there's, yeah, but I really love that recipe. I always try to like forage things for it. I looked up so many medicinal herbs that are healthy for you. And it used to be that anytime anyone at the chocolate shop got sick, I would like whip up a batch of cough drops for them. I got to go back to those days. I We're love that. Now. I want to go back to that small level. Oh, but, that's so yeah. good though. What, what a good boss bringing in the, the cough drops. And then <laughs> aside from helping us when we have a cough, you give us the recipe for maple honeycomb, which you actually speak of a few times in the intro on how your mother would put the crumbs of honeycomb in her coffee at the shop. Oh, yeah. Can you tell your <laughs> listeners about the maple honeycomb? Yeah, that's another one that is so easy. And it's, it's really funny because I feel like you know, shopping around this book manuscript, everyone was like, it's such a niche thing. And they're so hard to make at home. But this is a recipe that takes like 20 minutes. And everyone's so impressed by it. It's basically just a, um, like, I was gonna say leavened, but <laughs> like baking soda <laughs> risen um, kind of confection that depending on where you live, you might know it as like, sponge or sponge toffee, or it has all these different names. Um, but we very confusingly call it honeycomb, which there's no honey in it. So right. a lot of times people think it's like an actual honeycomb dipped in chocolate, sure. which people eat that. That seems very weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, we use a lot of maple syrup in it and it's just, you make like a caramel and then you just put tons of baking soda in it, which makes it rise a lot. Um, and then it's this really nice, crunchy kind of like um, toffee thing that is, it's, it's amazing. I love it. That's great. And uh, you can just whip it up like very quickly one night. And it sounds like from the sounds of it in the book, it sells very well at the shop. Yeah. Yeah. It sells super well. It's, um, which is good because it's not that hard to make <laughs> So for once. Um, one of our things is kind of simple. Yeah. It's a, it's a really big seller. It's nice because it doesn't like it's crunchy, so it doesn't get stuck in your teeth. Sure. It's kind of more dry, if that makes sense than other caramels. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, there's really something for everybody in this section of toffee and hard candy. There's a peanut butter toffee bar y'all. So come on an obvious must make. Uh, and lastly, the fruit, vegetable and creamy confections, plus a cookie chapter. Please tell us about the Lockheed bonbon. Oh, yeah, they're so weird. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm really proud of those because I feel like there's not, I mean, this is not true. The book is full of like unique things, but I feel like this is one thing that I don't know. I just had this idea and I don't think anyone's ever done it. And it's, I just think it's really cool. Um, It's basically like lakas that you make. It's my exact Hanukkah laka recipe. Um, just with half as much onion because it would be too much. Onion. Sure. Um, and then you just bake them. You could fry them, but we just bake them in huge um, sheet trays until they're like really, really dark, which let's face it is how everyone wants their latkes anyway. Right. Almost. Um, and then <laughs> you like grind them up in a food processor. So you have just that alone. I feel like is, is worth like life, just having like latka powder. <laughs> it's oh, really, wow. like a, yeah. It's like a really instant, like, Put it on anything in your life, like mashed potatoes. Right. It's just 
delightful. Um, so yeah. And then you just pipe these little like chocolate into these little nests kind of that look like latkes. Um, and then you sprinkle the latke powder with sea salt and it's really nice. It's a, it's a delightful oh. thing. It's one of the only things I have to say that I do actually make at the shop. So. Oh, you're like, you're <laughs> so. like, I'm making the latke bonbons today, guys out of the way. Yeah. And everyone is always like, wow, I've never seen you hold a pastry bag. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, now's the time. It's Hanukkah. It's my one time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I see this chapter also has the tahini meltaways we were talking about, which are featured on the cover of the book. Uh, and of course, the cookie. So is this the one cookie in the book? Yeah, yeah. That's like the only thing with flour. Um well, I guess there's the matzo toffee, but yeah. Um, yeah, alfihores, they're this really beautiful um, sandwich cookie. I really just made the cookie because I wanted to make dolce de leche. Sure. Um, and So you're yeah. like, then what else do I have to do to be able to make that then? I see. Yeah, I see. yeah. so I was like, okay, I'll make a cookie to put in between because that's very traditional. <laughs> so yeah, that's really fun where you just boil a can of sweetened condensed coconut milk, which is now a thing that exists. Yep. Um, forever and yeah it's a it's a super fun recipe it looks so yummy it's like a sandwich cookie then yeah i haven't made that since like i was testing it out for the book and i should make it it's so fun maybe that'll (laughs) be for your uh hanukkah christmas party for your staff maybe some of these cookies can go around it'll be good uh From the sonnet of a ganache, onion truffles, life-changing caramels, candy bars, and potato chip bonbons. Yes, listeners, potato chip bonbons. Sweet and salty, the art of vegan chocolates, truffles, caramels, and more from Lagusta's Luscious is a must-have for any cookbook collection, and I suggest you buy a copy right now. It's available everywhere you can buy books. And listen, this is our book brag section. Book brag! So if you can for me, please, Lagusta, give me a little moment of something you're most proud of when it comes to this book, a little humble book brag. Oh, um, well, I mean, honestly, I would say the photography, but we've already talked ah, about it. Ah, that's great. So you get a second one. That's <laughs> um, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, well, let's see. Okay, I do really feel like it is a good book to read which I agree with you. Sometimes people are like, oh, I just sit and read a cookbook. And no one really, like, people don't read every single recipe like right. reading a novel. That's not a thing. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is, I tried to make it very, I don't know, just kind of personal. Like the whole business is kind of personal and just put a lot of, of that, like just real authentic spirit into it. If sure. that authentic spirit, that sounded ridiculous. <laughs> 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 yeah, just put a lot of like, I feel like I've been so lucky to have this beautiful world around me of people who make the chocolates and just just a really lovely community. And I tried to really pour that into the book and make it kind of like a scrapbook of um, of this business. There's pictures of people who work at the shop, and I don't know. So it, it's even if you like hate chocolate, <laughs> it's a pretty fun read. I try to talk about like how we run the business, just like you mentioned, of like trying to have good politics and things like that. So. Well, yeah. I love that you say it's a scrapbook because that's that's a, that's exactly right. It definitely is. It, it reads like that in terms of letting us in on, like we've said previously, the whole journey of it, but really like the heart of what your 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 I, I don't mission sounds cheesy in this instance, but sort of the heart of what you're doing as a business owner, you know. Um, and it's really cool to have it all in one place to read and and how you got from point A to B to C and down the line. It's it's really really cool. And I will say, as I couldn't stop reading it, I was definitely I was getting annoyed with myself that I couldn't stop reading it. I was like, oh my god, I need to put this down. I need to like because I I wasn't anticipating wanting to read it like that. <laughs> Aww. So I was like, I've got other things to do. I need to put this down. Yeah. Why did she do this to me? 
<laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, I'm sorry. It's a, <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I'm thanking you for it. So it's a positive thing now. <laughs> so you guys go out and get it. Let's do a rapid fire baker's dozen question. Are you ready? Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm nervous. Here we go. You're going to be great. Number one, dish you remember making the most as a private chef? Well, probably that weird cold <laughs> celery shiitake salad that was terrible. <laughs> I was hoping you would say that. I just, yeah, I heard, like, wish everything with your hands, you know, yep. to like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And the client was like, I just heard that I read somewhere it was really slimming. And then every week you're <laughs> like, so you want that same salad again. Okay, great. Uh, celebrity dead or alive you want to cook for? Oh, wow. Um, Huh, I don't know. Maybe like Virginia Woolf. Yes. Now, if you hadn't been in food, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, well, definitely some weird poet writing <laughs> poetry, <laughs> terrible poetry. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we figured this answer out earlier on, but now we've okay. confirmed. We've confirmed. Uh, favorite tool in the kitchen? Um, huh, probably for chocolate work, like a paint scraper. Ah, yes, yes. Favorite, <laughs> yeah. favorite spot in Manhattan? Um, okay. Well, I love my own shop. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And after that, I'd say my second favorite place is Superiority Burger right down the road. From uh, my r- shop. Literally, so, like, isn't it steps away, really? Yeah, it steps away. It's just beautiful. So close. I love Superiority Burger as well. Item on your bucket list. Oh, wow. Um, so much. Jeez. I Well, I'd love to open up a shop in Japan. So we're going to put that out there in the universe. Ooh, <laughs> I think Japan would go all out for this. Have you, right? have you been? Okay, tell Japan that. Mention that to Japan. Oh, man. <laughs> I will get on the horn and call Japan right after this and let them know. Cool. I think that would, that would go over really well. That would be awesome. Uh, favorite candy or chocolate when you were a child? Um, definitely Butterfinger. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, tempeh, tofu, or seitan? Without a doubt, tempeh. All right. <laughs> Wait, what's the rest you said? Tempeh and then I what? I all the others. <laughs> <laughs> tempeh is your choice. Tempeh is your choice. Waffles or pancakes? Um, neither, but pancakes. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Any sort of breakfast confectionery of, this, of the kind beyond those two that you would put in their place? Yeah. Okay, I I really eat miso soup for breakfast. No, I love that. That's great. That's great. That's and also not the first time that's been brought up on this podcast. Eating miso soup for breakfast. Uh, (laughs) Do you like surprises? Oh, I guess it depends. (laughs) They're good. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Favorite spice to cook with? Hmm. The instant one that came to mind was coriander, but I don't know. I also like sumac. (laughs) <laughs> you, can, you can pick two i'm here for it that's all right what is on your nightstand right now um okay i'm kind of maybe embarrassingly rereading um eileen miles um oh my gosh why can't i remember the name of her book oh i'm just rereading like all eileen miles at all times <laughs> i'm obsessed with her um so the inferno yeah inferno okay oh my God. see no reason to be um, you know when, like you're reading a book but you can't remember the title because you never look at the title you're just you're <laughs> just going in for the read yeah so good so good <laughs> favorite vegan restaurant in nyc oh well i already said superiority burger i also love kajitsu it's really Ooh, i haven't been there it's very, it's like Japanese Zen temple food. Nice. Um, it's very like austere. Where's it at? <laughs> well, it actually weirdly used to be on 9th Street, right by Confectionery. Of course. Um, 
How interesting that you love everything that's just right there. (laughs) It's hilarious, but it moved to a terrible location in Midtown, like like 39th Street or something. It's awful. How (laughs) weird to go from there to there. I know. I think they wanted some like lunchtime business crowd. That's so So, strange. It'd be one thing to like shut it down and or or be one thing to like open another location, but to shut it down and open completely in Midtown. That's so strange. Uh, And your last one. The one that comes to mind first, what favorite sweet and savory combination that comes to mind first right now? Okay. I don't know if this counts, but I want to say tahini and sweet potatoes. <laughs> totally counts and was better than I could have imagined. That's fantastic. That's a great one. Well, that's it. I'm so grateful for your time, Lagusta. Thank you so well, much. Man, I just feel overwhelmed by your your sweet words. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean every single one of them. I'm in love with this book. And please tell everyone what the best website is to find you at. Sure. Yeah, you can go to AugustusLuscious.com, which is very hard to spell, but it's too long for me to spell. So good luck. (laughs) (laughs) And where should they follow you on social media accounts? Yeah, um, same thing, Lagusta's Luscious. Um, you can follow just me um, at Lagusta, which is L-A-G-U-S-T-A, um, but it's it's boring. <laughs> a lot of dog photos. Hey, nothing wrong with <laughs> nothing that. Nothing. There's actually, there's a great photo in the book I love of you and your dog. Do you have one dog? Do you have several? Do you have many? I, unfortunately, I only have one. <laughs> I, I only have one too, and I want 22. So maybe we'll change yeah. that in the future. But what's your dog's name that's pictured in this book with you? Um, Sholi. Uh, he's a Mexican hairless. He's he's a rescue. I didn't realize he was like a purebred dog when I rescued him. So now I'm in this world of learning about these like purebred How dogs. funny, right? You're like, I had no idea. It's very funny. But yeah, he has a lot of skincare needs. Um, he's the best. Well, he lucked out. And of course, uh, we must let everyone know about your podcast. You still have the podcast, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's called um, Thanks in Advance. And it's I do it with my friend Liz. We're both like old. Uh, and I don't know why I keep saying that we're old. But <laughs> <laughs> we've been in the animal rights world for a long time. But it's not really what we talk about. It's like politics and chit chatting. And I don't know, it's pretty great. So. It is great, guys. I've listened to it. It's called Thanks in Advance. And uh, you, where can they listen to Thanks in Advance? Oh, I don't know. Wherever you listen to things, I guess. Perfect. So anywhere you're listening, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, you can listen to Thanks in Advance. Let's hope so. Yeah. If not, I don't know. Send me a, a mean message. I'll get <laughs> uh, again, everyone, the name of Lagusta's ridiculously good book is Sweet and Salty, The Art of Vegan Chocolates, Truffles, Caramels, and more from Lagusta's Luscious. And I really hope you buy a copy today. Buy it as a birthday gift, just because presents and also any for any holiday that you give presents for. It's just that good. Thanks for being here, Lagusta. Well, thank you. What a great podcast you have. I'm really happy that you're doing it. Oh, you're so sweet, so kind. And uh, is there maybe a second book one day? Maybe we'll have you back and do another? Maybe. I don't know. I'd love someday to do like a savory one. So oh, we'll see, I think, see if the God of publishing smile on it. Yeah, I think we would all be so lucky. So uh, we'll, we'll keep our eye open for that one then. Awesome. <laughs> I really can't praise this book enough. Clearly, I love cookbooks, and I know every week I tell you, dear listeners, to buy the book, and I mean it, but this one is very, very special. It's a heart cookbook, uh, if you ask me. This is someone's lifetime of work put into a book in a very human and accessible way, uh, and it's also very touching. I think you'll be pleased if you purchase it and also feel very accomplished when you start whipping up these fun treats for your friends and family, too. Yeah, and I, I, I like that they have a little bit of personality to them. So, like, if you brought these to a yeah. party, 
it's a conversation piece. Everybody's going to be talking about it. Like, wait, what is in it? Tahini? Totally. You know, totally. like, so I think, yeah, I think this book is, is really great if you like entertaining or want to like surprise guests. Yeah, I didn't even think about that angle. That's no. one of the reasons we loved uh, com- love. I mean, we still love it. It's still there. But one of the reasons we love confectionery so much Great in gifts. New York is because you can take something, gifts, or even if you do take it to a party, like you said, it's always a conversation starter. So Wait, ginger, orange? That's crazy. So, um, mm-hmm. But speaking of dishes, Dustin's Dishes, dish. parties, taking things, parties, all that stuff. Dishes, mm. oh. What's Dustin's dish for this week? Dustin's dish. What a dish. Mm. Well, this is a tip. Uh, uh, it's not It's not really a tip, actually. It's it's uh, so much as it is a warning label. Oh. Um, warning. Since we're talking uh, so much about chocolate on this episode, uh, it's a simple t- uh, warning or tip, but important. When working with chocolate, make sure all your surfaces and tools bowls spoons measuring cups are completely dry uh when water hits melted chocolate the chocolate will seize or clump up a single drop of water can ruin a whole batch of melted chocolate so yeah it's uh i i I know from experience (laughs) Um, before i start melting any chocolate i always take the time to sort of wipe out the bowl and make sure there's no water in it water can actually act like glue and cause chocolate to clump up so make sure to always keep things High and dry. That's actually a great little tip. Oh, thanks, babe. I mean, I'm sure some people are going like, oh, like if they chocolate seized up on them and they might not I, have known sure i had no idea Could've even when water. it happened i was like why is this i mean this was when i was making cake pops like eons ago i remember oh i was like making the cut remember all those cake pops yes in a very tiny kitchen i do remember there was a time i got very obsessed with it might be the first like food thing we sold because i remember we did some like markets where we sold mm-hmm. those we sold vegan gluten-free cake pops they were delicious i'm not saying i won't ever go that route again uh they're, but they're we just, haven't done it in a while time consuming well time know, like, consuming and in our apartment we had to hold on to remember like styrofoam yes. blocks and like all this sort of like and stands for all it though we do still have the stands those are in storage but um you know i had these styrofoam blocks that just got beat up they'd been used for so long so there was just a lot to sort of hold on to when it came to uh cake pops but anyway that's the tip don't let water touch your melted chocolate it's bad 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 it's bad boo boo and that's our show for this week my friends please wear a mask wash your hands and all that jazz we are still in this and of course don't forget to rate review and subscribe if you would be so kind and the Mm. new information is uh can now follow the podcast on its own instagram account so don't forget at Keep On Cooking Pod. That's right. Keep On Cooking Pod with no G. Keep On Cooking Pod. David, what's my drag queen name? So one popped into my mind mm-hmm. uh, in honor of us moving down south to Georgia. Oh, how about my Southern Bale? Please welcome to the stage, Madame Peaches Aplenty. Oh, <laughs> I like I'm a Madame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Peaches Aplenty. Peaches Aplenty. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you. You're thank welcome. you. I'll take it. You're uh, welcome, and, Queen. Uh, this is uh, Madame Peaches Aplenty and Tiramisu signing off. That was our episode for this week. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. Until then, keep on cooking and remember it's nice to be nice. <laughs> This has been a Muzzy Cat production.